but it's, 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 it's a weird way of saying the sermon here. I'm, I wasn't planning to introduce a sermon like this, but it, it's, it's, a little, it's a little hot, and I'm aware of that. And I'm, I'm going to just tell you straight up, I'm not going to allow the heat to determine the length of my sermon this morning. Uh, praise the Lord for somebody who said amen. Uh, and I, I don't take that lightly. I don't take that lightly, but I, I, I think it will be a small inconvenience to you uh, to be protected from the eternal fire that burns day and night without end, the smoke of which rises up to heaven for all of eternity. It will be a small inconvenience for us to be mildly uncomfortable for a few minutes this morning if we might be protected from that fate of damnation. And it's we come in our study of John's Gospel to a passage that I believe is specially able to help us be protected from that danger. And so I would invite you to turn in your Bibles to John uh, chapter 14. We're just resuming our study of John's Gospel. Uh, remember, or as news for you, if you're a guest with us, if you've not been here for any of this study, especially over the last month or so, this portion of John's Gospel in chapters 13 through 17 uh, in this passage, Jesus is giving intimate final instructions to his disciples on the night before his crucifixion. And the banner that is flying over these chapters is love. Uh, we can see that at the beginning of chapter 13. Jesus, having loved his own uh, who were in this world, he loved them to the end. So Jesus is loving his people in these chapters especially. And he is aiming to give them comfort. We see that at the beginning of chapter 14. Jesus says to them, let not your hearts be troubled. He doesn't want them to be troubled. He wants to comfort their hearts and strengthen their hearts and establish their hearts. That's what, that's what Jesus is aiming at in these words in chapter 14. And we pick up this morning in verse 15 of chapter 14. I'm going to read verses 15 through 24, and before I read, I'm going to pray and ask that the Lord would, in fact, help us as we come to his word. So pray with me before I read his word. Heavenly Father, we do, in fact, need your help, and we, we praise you for the Holy Spirit. He is our helper, and we trust that he is present among us to give the help that we need. To hear your word, to be attentive to it, to respond this morning with faith and with obedience that would be worthy of you who have so richly loved us in Christ. To deepen our love for you this morning, Father, by helping us to taste freshly of the love of Christ. We ask for this in his name. Amen. John chapter 14, beginning in verse 15. Jesus says this, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you, yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. 
Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. I'm not entirely sure how verse 15 connects with what has gone immediately before it. Uh, I I think it may be, I'm not sure, but I think it may be a return to the flow of thought which ended in chapter 13, verse 35. Bible's open. You see at the end of chapter 13 and verses 34 and 35, Jesus talks about this new commandment that his disciples would love one another as he himself has uh, loved them. And so maybe that, that train of thought was interrupted at that point because uh, Peter had piped up in verse 36 and asked a question. And maybe that, that may have detoured Jesus from where he was going. And here in verse 15, as he begins to talk about love and commandments and obedience, perhaps it's a return of thought uh, or a return to the flow of argument there from chapter 13. Whatever the exact reason for the return here or for the flow of thought, what is clear in this paragraph that I read is that Jesus is particularly burdened to impress upon his followers in this very tender time with them, this final evening with them, he's impressed, he is particularly burdened to impress upon them the relationship between love and obedience. Did you notice that as I read the passage? Look again in your Bibles, verse 15. He says it no less than four times he makes this connection in the passage that I read. Verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Verse 23, Jesus is asked another question about how he will not manifest himself to the world. He doesn't seem to really answer that question. He goes right back to the point. Verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And then again, verse 24, stated this time in a, in a negative manner, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. So we see this emphasis here on love and obedience. And we also see that with each of these statements about the believer, the disciple loving and obeying, there is a promise made. Verse 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father... And he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. So so what I had planned to do this morning was to consider these two parts of the passage and see what they teach us about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. 
We're, we're to be the people who love him and keep his commandments. And he makes lavish promises to those who love him and keep his commandments. That's what I plan to do. But as I wrote the sermon on Friday afternoon, it just seemed to me that this matter of love and obedience was just too important to make it a part of my sermon. And so it became the whole of my sermon. And so we will come back to some of those wonderful promises that God has made, particularly the promise of the Spirit. We'll have wonderful opportunity to do that in the passage that we'll move on to next week in John 14. It fits very well. But I simply want to focus this morning on this one main point that Jesus expects his people, his own, those whom he is committed to loving to the end, he expects his disciples to love him and to express that love, to show that love by their obedience to him. I will spare you and not read those four statements again, but they're there in your Bible and you can see them. I'll just read to you verse 15 again. If you love me, Jesus says, you will keep my commandments. This is how Jesus identifies his people. They are those who love him. Loving Jesus is an essential, non-negotiable part of what it means to be one of Jesus' people. As Jesus had said to some professing disciples earlier in this Gospel of John, in chapter 8, he said to some people, and you can see very clearly in verse 31, the context is those who had believed in him, they had a sort of belief in him, and Jesus said in verse 42 of chapter 8, If God were your father, you would love me. But he goes on in that passage to say that because these people professing to believe in him, because they couldn't bear to hear his word, he actually says they were children of the devil. You can read that in chapter 8. This love that we are to have for Jesus is a, a love of deep intensity and devotion. Jesus says in Matthew 10:37, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So I love you and I love you and I love you. But if I love you more than I love Jesus, the Bible says I'm not worthy of Jesus. Peter, surely having listened intently to these words of Jesus in John chapter 14, right? he had just been warned by Jesus that he was that night going to deny Jesus three times. Surely Peter was paying careful attention at this point in Jesus' final words. Peter wrote to those disciples in the first century in 1 Peter 1.8, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Loving Jesus is how we give evidence that our sins have actually been forgiven. 
In Luke chapter 7, Jesus is greeted by a woman of a notoriously sinful past. And she is expressing love to him in radical ways. The Pharisees who are gathered are shunning her. They think this is ridiculous that Jesus is welcoming such affection. And he says to them, Therefore I tell you, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven loves little. He who is forgiven little loves little. This, this love for Jesus is not a stoical love. It's not a dutiful love, which we can see by other objects of love that Jesus has already referred to earlier in John's Gospel. So, Jesus says in chapter 3, verse 19, that people loved the darkness. They wouldn't come to Him, they wouldn't come to the light, because they loved the darkness rather than the light. What does that mean? They loved the darkness rather than the light. It means they wanted the darkness. They preferred the darkness. They enjoyed the darkness. They did not love the darkness out of duty. In John 12, verse 43, Jesus says of some people who secretly were kind of putting a sort of faith in Jesus, but they were afraid to go public with it because Jesus says, they love the glory of man more than the glory of God. To be fair, I think actually John said that. Jay, is that true? I, that might have been John's commentary, not Jesus' word. I do not want to mislead you. But either way, it says they love the glory of man more than the glory of God. What does that mean? It means they wanted the praise of man. They delighted in it. They craved it. That's how they loved it. And so loving Jesus... Loving God is a delighted pleasure in Him and a deep satisfaction in Him. Sometimes that satisfaction expresses itself in a longing to love Him and have fellowship with Him more than you presently do. And so the psalmist says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. Do you know something of this experience? My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Psalm 84, verse 1. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. And so Jesus says in Matthew 13, 44, that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found, and then he, he hid it again, and in his, what? Oh boy, that was quiet. I heard it, but in his joy, he sells everything that he has and buys that field. The kingdom is that precious, is that valuable. The Apostle Paul says that he so treasured Jesus that he counted everything else as lost, even as rubbish, compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. And so Paul says in another place, if anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. 1 Corinthians 16, 22. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. If I might speak for a moment to the parents who are here, I, I tend to not give parenting advice because nobody, I don't think anybody feels like they're, they're knocking it out of the park in parenting. 
in a way to glorify Jesus. But if I could just say something to the parents. Parents, I, I, I want you to consider whether you are, in fact, helping your kids by affirming that because they prayed a prayer, you can be sure that they're saved. This, this word of Jesus is for kids in the same way that it is for adults. If you, if you love Jesus, kids, you will keep his commandments. We love our kids. Of course, we want them to put their trust in Jesus. We can't know that moment that they pray a prayer and say that they want to trust Jesus. We can't be sure. We can encourage them. We can praise God that they desire to confess their sins. But we must expect from them the same thing that we expect from uh, adults, what Jesus is saying here. If anyone would love Jesus, they will keep his commandments. I don't, I don't think we help as our kids get older. I don't think we help. I think we confuse. I think we mislead when we say things like, I know my child is saved, but they're not really walking with the Lord right now. That's not a helpful thing to say on the basis of God's word. Because those who love Jesus, they keep his commandments. Take that parenting advice for what it's worth. I'm sure you will, and you will let me know if you think to the contrary. Where does this love come from? Where does this love for Jesus come from? It sounds in this passage as if perhaps uh, there's a system of merit going on. If we can drum up enough love and obedience, he will love us. If you read those, the, those statements of believing and loving and obeying, and then and I will love him and manifest myself to him. It almost sounds as if our love for Jesus is what earns or merits more of Jesus' love. And so it is important that we understand as we think about what it means to love and obey. We must understand this point. If you hear nothing else of what I say this morning, because I understand that it's hot. If you hear one sentence that I say this morning, I think this might be the one that you want to hear. The love that we have for Jesus is a love that arises from our experience of having been loved by Jesus. Because I do believe that's an important statement. I will say it again. The love that we have for Jesus is a love that arises from our experience of having been loved by Jesus. We know that Jesus is going to go on and tell his disciples, you did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And what we read there in John 15 is the context is that fruit is love. He had chosen them. His love for them came first. At the end of this extended teaching, Jesus tells his disciples plainly that their love for him is going to fail. He says in chapter 16, verse 32, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. They scattered. They abandoned him in his hour of need. And yet Jesus still loved them to the uttermost by going to the cross and dying in their place and sending them the Holy Spirit as he had promised. And so we see the truth that the Apostle John so richly described in his first letter. Not sure, you're not up to chapter 4 yet, are you, in, in 1 John? You're moving on the slow track and slowing down more than you thought you were with each week, I trust. 
Listen to 1 John 4. John makes this clear in his epistle. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. If you're here this morning visiting with us, even on this hot day, I trust there are some of you here perhaps examining Christianity, not sure exactly what it is that you believe. I do very much want to make sure that you understand this relationship of love and obedience and where this love comes from. God is love. But we also understand from the scriptures that God is Lord. He is King. He is the Holy Creator, the maker of heaven and earth. And because He made everything, He justly and legitimately rules over everything. He rules over all of His creatures. And He has been exceedingly good to all that He has made. Psalm 145 verse 9 says, He is good to all and His mercy is over all that He has made. And in response to that great kindness and love that he has shown to all, we owe him our loving obedience. And yet by nature, all of us, and that goes for me up on this stage and all of us in this auditorium and all the people driving by in their cars, all of us have loved ourselves supremely. We have put ourselves and our interests first above his. He commands us to love him with all of our hearts and soul and might, even as we heard earlier, read from Deuteronomy chapter 6. But all of us, every last one of us, has failed to do this. And thus we have incurred his judgment. What we deserve from God for our lack of love for him is eternal condemnation. But because of his rich love, because of his abundant mercy, he loved us even when we were so deeply unlovely. Even when we were his sworn enemies, he loved us by sending his dear son into the world to rescue us. To rescue all who would believe in him. To rescue us from the damnation that we were due for our failure to love him by absorbing in his own body on the cross the punishment that we were due. That is what John means when he uses the word propitiation, that big fancy word. It means Jesus suffered the wrath of God, the judgment of God that we were due. He absorbed that in his own body on the cross, and he did that out of love. On the third day, Jesus rose from the dead, even as he says there in verse 19, because I live, you will live. Jesus knew he was going to go to the cross, but he knew he would triumph over the grave. And on the third day, he rose from the grave to demonstrate his victory over sin for all who would turn from their rebellion and cast themselves upon his free grace and mercy in Jesus. And he, after rising, he ascended to heaven, and he sent the Holy Spirit, as he said there in verse 16, I will send the Helper, the Spirit of Truth. We'll talk more about him and his work next Sunday, Lord willing. He sent the Holy Spirit to pour God's love into the hearts of his people and to awaken in the hearts of his people a deep and abiding love for him. The Apostle Paul speaks of this transforming love of Jesus in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 when he says, The love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, and therefore all have died. And he died for all 
that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who, for their sake, died and was raised. That's how we love Jesus. The love of Christ, which he has shown us before when we were enemies, when we were objects of wrath. The love of Christ controls us. Kids, I've told you before of a book that I love reading to my kids, that I have loved reading to all three of my kids, called Thoughts to Make Your Heart Sing. And it's a little devotional book. Maybe if you have a birthday coming up, or maybe for Christmas, maybe you want to encourage dad or mom to get you this little book called Thoughts to Make Your Heart Sing. Say, Pastor Larry says it's great. I'm sure that's going to mean a lot. And in, in Thoughts to Make Your Heart Sing, there's this little story. It doesn't seem to me to be, it's so much for kids. You might need to explain this one to your parents a little bit, but parents, you can understand this one and maybe even tell your kids more about it later today. There's a story from the American Civil War of a northerner who, who bought a young slave girl at a slave auction. And as they left the auction, the man turned to the girl and said to her, you're free. And, and she turned to him in, in amazement and she said, you mean I'm free to do whatever I want? He said, yes. She couldn't believe it. She said, and, and to say whatever I want to say and to, to be whatever I want to be and, and even to go wherever I want to go. And he, he laughed. He said, yes. You're free to go wherever you'd like. And she looked intently at him and she replied, then I will go with you. That is how the love of Christ controls us. That is how the love of Jesus sets us free from the guilt and penalty of our sin and sets us free to love and live for him. When we see one so richly loving us, so sacrificing to set us free from the eternal misery that we were due, we say to him, I will go wherever you go. I will follow you. We love, in other words, because, as the scriptures say, he first loved us. And we show our love by going where he goes, in faith, doing what he commands, loving what he loves. And what he loves is obedience to his father. That's what marked his own life. Look at the last verse of chapter 14, if your Bibles are still open. Jesus said, I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. And having been loved by Jesus, we want the world to know that we love Jesus. And so we give ourselves to doing what Jesus says, so that the world may know that we love Jesus. It's not a begrudging love. It's not a teeth-grinding, dutiful obedience. But it's one that is driven by a deep, love-induced conviction that Jesus is good. And thus we offer up the entirety of our lives to him as a blank check. Right? With a memo line reading, joyful obedience in whatever he commands. And we gladly quit trying to run our own lives and experience the freedom and relief of submitting to him. When we know the love of Jesus, we know, and I'm asking you, do you know this? That his, his commandments, and there are many of them. You know, I give away a lot of copies of Gentle and Lowly in the past year. I probably give away 30 or 40 copies of, of Gentle and Lowly. It's a good book. I commend it. I, I can't really give away that many copies of John Piper's What Jesus Demands from the World. Maybe you don't like John Piper's writing. That's okay. 
But you understand that his commandments, his commandments are not a legalistic burden, but they're a prescription for our highest joy. They're, they're an invitation to share in the very joy of Jesus and experience his love even more. Because he says, look at chapter 15. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Do you want joy this morning? Jesus says the way to joy is to obey his I'm going to close now, but my close is a little bit of a close. It's, you know, I need you to think some. This is why I decided, right here I said, I need to just pause here, and some people might call it application. Some people might call it asking you to consider your own experience of what I've just been talking about. I just couldn't run on to all those wonderful promises that he makes, and they are wonderful, and we will talk more about the Holy Spirit next week, Lord willing. But I just had to pause here. It's good to do it as we come to the Lord's table as well. To examine ourselves. So this is a good occasion, I believe. Four times he says in this passage, if you love me, you keep my commandments. If you don't love me, you don't keep my commandments. Do you love Jesus? And so I've been up here yelling at you for 30 minutes. Do you love Jesus? Teenagers, do you love Jesus? Adults, men, do, do you love Jesus? Women, do you love Jesus? Young adults, do you love Jesus? Empty nesters, senior citizens. I love the deep age diversity that we have in this congregation. What a blessing that is. Do you love Jesus? I'm not asking, are you from a Christian family? I'm not asking, do you attend church regularly? I'm not asking if you prayed a prayer three months ago or three years ago or 30 years ago asking Jesus to come into your heart. I'm not asking if you celebrate Christmas rather than celebrating Hanukkah or Ramadan. I'm asking the question, do you, do you love Jesus? You understand, it's not a, I'm not talking about perfect obedience. I'm not talking about perfect love. One of the commandments that Jesus gave his disciples was the command to pray regularly, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. I'm not talking about sinlessly perfect love and obedience, but I'm talking about a heart commitment, an ongoing intention and posture of heart to obey everything Jesus has commanded. Uh, that's the very commission that Jesus sent his disciples out with, 
to go and make disciples and baptize them and teach them to obey everything that he's commanded. Because disciples of Jesus are people who love Jesus. And people who love Jesus obey his commandments. God's word has so closely tied love and obedience together that John can write in another place. This is the love of God. First John 5 verse 3. This is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments, this is a wonderful word, his commandments are not burdensome. Do you, do you love Jesus? Is Jesus talking about you in verse 24 when he says, whoever does not love me does not keep my word. Is it possible that you keep getting angry when someone opposes your way. Pardon me, put the microphone there. Is it possible that you keep getting angry when someone opposes your way because you don't love Jesus? Is it possible that you keep planning poorly and neglecting fellowship with the Lord in His Word because you don't love Jesus? Is it possible that you keep going to places on the internet where you know you shouldn't be going and where you vowed that you will not go again because you don't love Jesus? Is it possible that you shade the truth to protect your reputation because you don't love Jesus? Is it possible that you're not able to forgive because you don't love Jesus? Is it possible that you're not willing to serve that person whose needs keep wearing you out because you don't love Jesus? Is it, is it possible that you can't talk transparently to others about how it is with your soul, how your walk with the Lord is going, that you just can't talk like that because you don't love Jesus? True love is displayed not by paying lip service to it. Not by singing that the Lord is good and faithful and He'll keep us day and night or that He's a wonderful, merciful Savior. True love is displayed in actually obeying what He commands, doing what He says. Aren't you glad, aren't you glad that Jesus didn't just say that He loves us, but that He showed that He loved us by laying down His life for us? Greater love has no one than this. Not that he says the words, I love you, but that someone lays down his life for his friends. And you are my friends, Jesus says, if you do what I command you. It's not pleasant or easy for me to get up and talk like this. But this is what the word of Jesus says. And his words are good. He asks another question in another place. Luke 6, 46. Why do you call me Lord? Lord, and not do what I tell you. I don't want you to be misled, beloved. I don't want you to lie to yourself or lie to others. Jesus said that Christians, true Christians, they abide in His Word. They obey His words. They know His words are where life and freedom are found. 
pray for us as a congregation that we would be willing to obey Jesus in everything that he says, come what may. It's not going to get easier to do that in our culture, you understand. It's not going to get easier. Would you pray for us elders that we would lead you well in that? We elders sometimes have to make decisions. We have to take action sometimes that we we think may be unpopular. Uh, that may be difficult to walk out. But we are obliged to do it because we are obliged to obey what Jesus said. Would you pray that we would do that? That we would never so regard your esteem and your opinion and your being pleased with us that we would ever deviate from the way of obeying Jesus. We would not be serving you well if we ever deviated from obeying Jesus. Pray for us. We, we, we all need grace to walk in that way. As we submit our lives and our desires to Him. Say what you want with your lips. If you're not obeying God's word, God is not your God. You are your God. The wrath of God remains upon you. If there are sins that you just refuse to stop committing. I'm not talking about the struggle that we have, which the Bible speaks of, between the spirit and the flesh. And we know that that war wages on in us. And we lament that war and we confess our sins. I'm talking about you persistently, unrepentantly, walking in sin and refusing to let it go. You can come here and, and sing songs and say you love Him all you want. You can come to church and you can put some money in that offering after the service. But you must repent and you must turn from your sin. That's what Christians do. It, it may be helpful for you this week to just ask somebody close to you. Do you see evidences in my life that I love Jesus? Do, do you see anything in my life that would call into question my claim to love Jesus? That'd be a good question to ask this week. Of a family member, close friend, a, a, another church member. I mean, it's a good thing to say on a night of a, of a member meeting, you know, think about what it means to be a member of a church. That there should be no member of this church that we can't be confident in saying, this one loves Jesus most. That's what binds us together in membership in a church, is that we have come to treasure and trust in Jesus as our Savior and our Lord and our treasure. When, when we take in, when we receive a member into this church, we are saying, we are trying to consider, is this one who loves Jesus and is committed to demonstrating that love by obedience? When we see out someone from membership in this church, we're concerned to say, is this one who is still loving Jesus and demonstrating it by obedience and just moving on to do that elsewhere? Or is this someone who has turned away from loving Jesus to go their own way and thus disqualify their profession of being a disciple of Jesus? It's important to us that we understand that and that we take that responsibility seriously to discern these things because the love of Jesus is important. And Jesus says, those who love me, they keep my commandments. How is your love for Jesus this morning? Don't deceive yourself. 
And also, please, don't damn yourself. Don't condemn yourself. I have preached this way knowing that we get to come to the Lord's table now. Such a good place for us to come. Never a bad week to come. Don't deceive yourself. I want you to be honest with your own soul. I want you to be honest with somebody else. He is gentle and lowly with all those who are honest. You're honest that you're struggling to love Jesus as you ought. He is endlessly patient and merciful and kind. You want, to, you want to put on a face and be a hypocrite and be self-righteous and act the part while knowing that you're a hypocrite inside? He will be lion-like in his ferocity. Don't deceive yourself. Don't condemn yourself. If you're pierced this morning by your lack of love and your lack of obedience, I have wonderful news for you. What Jesus calls you to today is not to just moan and lament and think there's no hope for you. What he calls you to is what we're told right at the beginning of John's gospel. To all who did receive him. To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. For everyone, look at yourself. One wise preacher once said, for everyone, look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. I'm asking you to look at yourself. It's important that we do that. But oh, if you see some ugly things. And if you're honest, how could you not see some ugly things? Look now. Look again to Jesus. William Cooper, English poet and hymn writer, wrote this, To see the law by Christ fulfilled and hear his pardoning voice changes a slave into a child. And duty into choice. So let, let's pray and let's turn to the Lord's table and hear again his pardoning voice and see it demonstrated in the bread and in the cup. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're good. You're so good to us. Your word is so good. We know that we've fallen short. We confessed it earlier in our service. We've not loved you as we ought. We've, we've done things we ought not to have. We've left undone things that we ought to have done. Father, we pray that you would drive all of us, those who have known your love, that we would know it again. Those who have never come to know your love, that they would come to know it for the first time today. Father, help us as we eat and drink now in remembrance of Jesus. Help us to be honest and help us to be joyful that your love is so steadfast for those who come to you broken and needy and poor in spirit. We ask for this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.